and welcome to today's Unpacked Short. I'm Charlie Pickles. I'm delighted to be joined by two guests, obviously Peter Franklin. Hello. And Sally Chatterton. Hello. Welcome. So today, and I'm just going to have to reflect a moment on the brilliance of the headline on this piece, uh, which I believe was Peter. The piece we're going to talk about today is called, You OK, Hun? Gree. Great, great stuff there, Peter. I do apologise. So, uh, as everyone I'm sure is aware, a couple of weeks ago now was the Hungarian general election. The result was perhaps not surprising, but has upset some people, including, I would say, uh, the author of the piece that, Peter, you're unpacking. Um, So we saw a Orban victory, but can you explain why we're talking about it? Yes, this piece is by uh, um, a leading academic in these matters, uh, Jaska Munk uh, for Slate. And um, he says that Hungary is an example of a consolidated democracy, and we'll come on to that definition, which is quite, quite important here, that is possibly the first to have backslid into something rather undemocratic. Um, and the idea of a consolidated democracy, that's one where there's been a couple, at least a couple of peaceful transfers of power and where the average uh, wage is, I think, above $14,000 a year. So richer, stable, kind of plural democracies. Okay, and so there's a quote that you have from his piece which says, all in all then, the Hungarian elections were mostly free, but hardly fair. So one of his arguments here is that that what, that in some way it wasn't a true election? Um, Well, there were some elements of it that were far from ideal, but the idea that sort of democracy has fallen in Hungary, I think is an exaggeration. So Sally, I mean, we we had a piece on the site uh, by Henry Olsen, our flyover theme editor, and he, he looked at some actual data on this. Yeah, didn't we he? got Henry to our other head of brains to run the data uh, on the Hungarian elections. The last ones in 2010, which was arguably before Orbán had had his chance to get his hands on the media and manipulate everything. And in fact, he said that there was no discernible difference in the patterns of voting um, from that time ago. So uh, we can get hysterical about this being the end of democracy, but just because it's not the right the result you want doesn't necessarily mean that it's undemocratic and Henry would say no discernible difference. Okay so so actually we're not convinced by uh, Yasha Monk's argument that it wasn't a fair election but I mean is it Peter though because one way it could be unfair is that if you know Auburn's the only real candidate you can vote for I mean is this an issue of an absence of opposition? Well, it is. And um, if you look at the Hungarian opposition, I mean, there's two main alternative choices. The first was the Social Democrats, who were in power before 2010. Now, when they were um, running the government, they behaved extremely badly. The then Prime Minister was caught on tape admitting, sort of lying extensively and using foul language about his own country. Uh, so, Probably uh, not going to endear you to the electorate. No, no, no. You know, it's this country, that, and, and everything. And it, was, it was not edifying. Um, there were protests, and some of those protests were dealt with um, in a rather heavy-handed, brutal manner. Um, so 
that government lost credibility, that Orban swept into power, um, so, and, and the Social Democrats have yet to recover their credibility, I think it's fair to say. The other choice is Jobbik, which rarely is a, a very far-right party, although they're, they're trying to sort of change their image a bit. Um, you know, and you probably, you know, if, if, if you don't like Orban, then you really won't like Jobbik. So, um, you know, given those choices, it's not surprising that we see one party dominating at the moment. So, I mean, I think what we're saying, therefore, is that um, this you know, Orban has been legitimately elected. You know, there has been a democratic process. Yeah, um, more or less, more or less. More, more or less. Um, we might not like the outcome because we might not like what Orban represents or, or some of his more autocratic behaviours, but that that doesn't mean that he's any less legitimate just because we don't like him. Mm. And yet, you know, I can't help feeling we should still be slightly concerned by these events. Is that fair? Yes, we should. I mean, there's some, some things like um, he enfranchised um, ethnic Hungarians living um, in neighbouring countries, especially uh, Romania, Slovakia, places like that, and got... What do you mean, what do you mean ethnic Hungarians living in other countries? Well, um, people that weren't actually born in Hungary proper, but are ethnically Hungarian. And, you know, this goes back to after the First World War, where an awful lot of the Hungarian population then found themselves living outside of the redrawn borders, right? So there's some proper history there which needs to be taken into account of. Um, the problem with the, the, their votes was that they were very, very heavily in favour of Orban, you know, more than 90%. Um, Autocratic levels of support, I think, was it 90 yes, or something? Yes, but, so. you know, it may be that this is a rather specialised electorate and how much it actually made a difference to the results and, and what Sally said about Henry's research showing that, well, you know, These it, it wasn't anyway. that different to 2010 and that was before the changes that Orban made to the Constitution. So, you know, whether we can really say that you know, um, this is a dictatorship. It. I think that that has to be seen as going too far. And Sally, I mean, I guess for me, the question, if, you know, if we're saying that broadly, as Peter corrected me on, broadly this was a fair election, the question surely for people who, you know, feel a slight distaste for the result, I guess, is why did people vote in this way. And, th and that's another thing that Henry looked at, the well, differences in voting behaviours within the country. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, there, there are echoes, that I think you could say, in Brexit Britain, aren't there? That uh, Well, in the cities, um, they, they were largely opposed to Orban, but across the uh, big swathes of the country, um, parts of the country that don't have universities, then Fides, the vo had the vote for Fides uh, group, and that's where support was seen. And Arguably, poorer areas, they're going to be more affected by the immigration that is crossing through Hungary. And Peter, can we lay there for the result at the EU's feet? Well, Hungary and Poland and other um, sort of uh, Visegrad countries, as they're called, have been put under great pressure to take more refugees and economic migrants. Um, this has gone down extremely badly. Um, it's, it's rather insensitive also when you think about Hungary's history, which has, you know, they've been pummeled over the centuries by waves of invaders. Um, and to have Brussels, to have the European Commission 
uh, wagging fingers at, at, at Hungary really hasn't helped. I mean, it, it, it might have been sort of almost designed to help a nationalist prime minister get re-elected. And so I, I know, notice you conclude, Peter, in your Unpacked, uh, that Yasha Monk has condemned um, the Euro establishment for not coming down harder or not, not responding more effectively to Orban's behaviour, his kind of tightening of his grip in, in Hungary. France. Well, quite. Uh, and there is an irony there uh, that these unelected, that he's expecting these unelected officials to have dealt with uh, an elected government. Um, thank you so much, Peter and Sally. Thank you, James, our producer. Um, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Please do subscribe if you haven't already and do check out our other Unheard podcasts. We have some great audio documentaries uh, and also the weekly podcast. And do join us next time. Music.